The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. This morning we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell." And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Park Church. Good to see you. Good to have many of you at home as well. My name is Neil, serve on staff here at Park and um, have the privilege of wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're coming in to the end of a major section in the book of Matthew uh, here at the end of chapter 7. Uh, we've off, off and on been in the Sermon on the Mount for several months, and so we'll have a little bit of a, a recap woven in through there. But I just want you to notice, before we pray, I want you to notice something in verses 28 and 29. There at the end of chapter 7. So Jesus had just finished with the last portion of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and verse 28 says this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds, so the people who had gathered around to listen to him, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. It, this word astonishment has is, is, is struck me personally, and I think it, it's good for us as a church as well, because really the, the parable that we're going to look at just previous to this, that he ends the Sermon on the Mount with, it's really inviting us and asking us the question, will we move from astonishment, kind of being shocked, bewildered, confused, kind of without words, at the teachings of Jesus, move from astonishment to become an apprentice of Jesus, to recognize that, that our lives must come up under his voice, like what he's described to us and laid out for us as the vision of life in God's kingdom. And maybe that's for the first time for some of us this morning, uh, or maybe it's, it's in a new area of your life that has been kind of kept away from his voice. But, but that, that question, that shift from being astonished with, with what Jesus had to say and moving into more fully being a, an apprentice of Jesus. So let's pray. Uh, we need the, the Spirit's help. Uh, my words are, are not effective uh, it's, it's the Word of God that's effective. And so we, we need Him to come and bring those to bear on our lives, on our hearts, uh, to bear fruit. So pray with me. God, thank you. Uh, thank you that you have given us your Word. And uh, the, the Word that you've given to us brings life to us. Uh, but we need, we need to be made tender to the things of you. Uh, so easily and so often we, we keep certain aspects of our lives just kind of protected and, 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 and pulled away from the light of your voice. And so may you give us the, 
the grace and the, the compassion of, of drawing those things out. Now, Spirit, would you search us and know us and, and try our thoughts and our motives and our, our, our purposes, our values, the things we cling to, the, the places we go to root and establish our lives. May you expose those into the light of your love and may we receive the voice of your invitation that draws us back to Christ who is the rock. Now, so please help us even now. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is, uh, many of you may not know this, there's a vast divide between Park Church leadership. Um, it's it, it spurred many debates and never any like fistfights, but definitely like verbal arguments, uh, wars, rumors of wars, kind of woven its way through the building. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really aware of this fully. Like I had a, a few side conversations, but I wasn't fully aware until one afternoon I wandered into Caitlin Sines' office. And she was in there, and so was Josh, her husband, and Ryan Gannon, her director of operations. And they were talking, telling stories, you know, eating a late lunch, some Mediterranean hummus bowl, something or other. And they got talking about food. And they asked me, I said, oh, Neil, what did you, what did you have for lunch today? Well, proudly, I told them I, I had Taco Bell. And then the look of disgust and judgment that, that was like darted back at me, I, I began to cower a little bit. Like, well, what's wrong? Like, don't they like Taco Bell? Like, well, what is, what's going on here? And then I realized, oh, you all are from California. Like, you have no category for this rural Hoosier boy uh, who loves cheesy gordita crunches every once in a while and just gets this, like, childlike joy in going through the Taco Bell drive through line uh, at lunch every once in a while. Now, as you, maybe half the room, half of you at home are likewise judging me for my affection for Taco Bell, maybe the other half not, um, I know. I know it's not good for me. Like, I've seen the documentaries, I've read all the dif- different nutrition facts, and I know the grade A beef is not grade A beef. I don't know, it's some sort of like FDA conspiracy thing, because they love Taco Bell too, so it's like, let it go on. I, I-, I get it. I've heard all the things, like I, I understand intellectually, but my doing does not match my hearing. The, the, the things I put into practice, you know, me getting back into the drive through line at, at Taco Bell at random times, usually after 10 p.m., I don't know why, just something about that fourth meal. Um, my doing doesn't reflect what I know to be true. I think this is true for all of us. I think we can find ourselves... I don't know, maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's, you've been listening to the minimalism podcast, one sort or another, and you realize, oh, I'm listening to this while I'm folding my extra pair of sheets for the blow-up mattress in the guest bedroom as they, like, pile out of the, the linen closet. Like, wait a second. I'm, like, captured. I'm compelled by this vision of a minimalist lifestyle, but then I, I, I still just have, like, gobs of things pouring out of my closet. Or, or maybe it's, man, I just need to, this one's for my wife. Uh, she's like, hey, Target is a thing. Like, you just want to go and have some me time, but maybe you're thinking about, like, how consumerist our society is, but at the same time, you're, like, wandering the aisles aimlessly just because, I don't know, Joanna Gaines has her line there now. I don't know what it is, but it's like something about Target just, like, draws people in. Or, or maybe uh, you saw The Social Dilemma. The documentary that like exposes the, how, how we're sucked into these things that, that warp our minds and pull us into echo chambers and uh, just basically 
kind of reify what we already desire in unhealthy ways, but we're thinking about that and reflecting on that as we're buying something through Instagram or tweeting some political jab at somebody about something. We, we may know things, we, we hear the message, we, we understand it intellectually, maybe even be emotionally compelled in some way. But then our doing, our practice, our way of life is not characterized by it. There's a disconnect between the two. Well, this is the point that Jesus is drawing out in the final section on the Sermon on the Mount. We must not only hear the words of Jesus. We must not only hear the voice of God through his word, specifically here referencing the Sermon on the Mount, the vision of God's kingdom, the vision of life as God, the creator of it, has defined it. We can't just hear them, be a little astonished, be a little compelled, be a little drawn in, think they're very nice thoughts. We must become doers of the word, those who put it into practice. And of course, here we're not talking about trivial examples about linens or Taco Bell. We're talking about the words that that lead to our ultimate life or destruction with respect to the God who made us and who loves us. Well, even as we consider our age of endless podcasts and sermons and teachings, and yeah, you know, COVID has just kind of amplified this where more churches and more pastors and more teachings from Scripture have, have gone online. We just have, we're glutted with, with opportunities and access to, to hear things that are true and good and, and what God has, has conveyed for us, uh, what it looks like to, to live in His kingdom. And yet, how much of that translates into doing, into a practice and a way of life. Let's look at this text together. Now go back with me to verse 24 of chapter 7. Jesus says this, everyone then, this word then could be translated therefore, it's pointing back to the whole Sermon on the Mount, but really most immediately the section that we heard preached last week where you know, the, the, the two ways to live are being drawn out. It is possible for us to have kind of trappings of a Christian lifestyle that are accepted by others, even in the church, recognized as being leaders or, uh, you know, those who, who really love God and do good things for the kingdom of God, and yet Jesus says that, well, I never knew you. I never knew you intimately, relationally. It just had the external form of Christianity. And so Jesus steps in verse 24 to, to give us a parable, to give us a picture, imagery that draws out this distinction. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. These words of mine are speaking specifically to the Sermon on the Mount here, uh, but also more broadly as Christ is the word who took on flesh, who is the revelation of God. He's come to convey who God is, what he's designed us for, and what it looks like to follow him. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus is laying out 
two different examples, two different ways to live, two different responses to hearing the voice of Jesus, to hearing what God has laid out for us. Now, the two men actually have a lot in common. Most of the things they, they're doing are actually the same. They, they both want a house. They, they both are in the same location. The same storm comes uh, to, to both houses. And, and they, they take up construction, and they probably have similar building materials from the outside. The house has probably looked basically the same, freshly painted, attractive, good form, good function, like all the things you would want in this house. The difference exists. It's just much more subtle, not so obvious. The imagery speaks to the building of our own lives. I think it's safe to say that every human person desires a good life. Now, however we may define good or understand the good or how we pursue the good or achieve it, I think we desire a good, satisfactory, joy-filled life. Because we're here in this room or watching on a screen at home right now, we, we at least think Jesus has something to do with that. Like scripture, what God has given to us in the Bible, Christianity, following Jesus, elements of that. We're at least somewhat intrigued or interested in like, well, that, that might contribute to the good life. It might contribute to that for me. For some, maybe it's more central. Others, a little bit more on the periphery. But we have some level of interest. But then we step out into our lives and we make decisions. We relate to people. We prioritize and value things. We care about things. We we pursue a certain vision of what life is and what it should be. Well, Jesus says that it takes a storm, at least in this parable, to reveal the difference between these two structures. Now, for us, the storms could be any variety of things. Ultimately, this is talking about the judgment of Jesus on that last day, but, but we have many other storms that come into our lives. You know, it could be considering the many things that have been stripped from us over the past year uh, due to the pandemic or other realities in our lives. It could be loss of a relationship. It could be extra strain or difficulty in relationships, whether it be marriage or with kids or friends or family back home. It could be job loss, financial strain, your emotional health, you know, suffering from depression, anxiety, or maybe there are pockets of shame that have been exposed in your life more recently and trying to, to wrestle through that. Maybe it's a, it's a pattern of sin that you just can't seem to shake and it, it continues to bear down on your life and you just want to be free, but it, it just drains the, the energy from you. It could be the season of life that you're in that you want to be out of. It seems to be never-ending. Storms hit our lives, and sometimes it's, it's not just one thing, it's multiple things from different angles at the same time. The rains come down, the, the floods rise, the winds beat against the house of our lives. Well, when these come, as they come, the greatest concern is not the building materials that we used as kind of the superstructure. It's not if we have kind of the right size bank account to cushion ourselves. It's not if we've got enough like deemed success by the world around us. It's not if people like us or we have a good enough reputation or things seem to be kind of going well enough in our lives apart from it. Uh, It's not so much if I have the right like curated body image or I feel healthy or whatever else. It's not the superstructure. It's actually the foundation. That will determine whether or not our house stands. Is that foundation firm? Are our lives built upon the rock? 
Well, this is where the contrast is drawn between the two houses. They're, they're, they're both basically identical. They take a, a visible beating from the storm. But one stands firm and the other goes splat, as the song tells us. I was considering singing that, but my wife said I had the wrong tune. So I was like, well, we'll save that for another day. Um, So what are the sands that we tend to build our lives upon? What are the things that we we, we think are going to be secure? Maybe there's enough kind of moisture in the sand so it seems firm for a little bit, but eventually it dries up or the winds come and it begins to shift on us. Well, there are at least a number of those that are, that are exposed in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of those I think that really hits home for us is this idea of the myth of progress. Uh, that we think that the life should probably really just move like up and to the right uh, without failing. Like we should continue to, uh, to grow in our careers and kind of the desires we have relationally for our life, whether it be family or whatever else. Uh, financially, we should grow the freedom, autonomy that we have. These things should just continue and increase. And sure, we have a few blips here and there, but they shouldn't last too long. We should continue to move forward. And yet, when our world tells us this is what we should pursue as being the good life, Jesus says, actually those who, who hunger and thirst after righteousness that are truly said to be blessed and flourishing. Often those who are suffering greatly in this life, they don't have a sense of material success or wealth. None of these things are evil in themselves, but it's often those who don't have those things and, and have their hearts drawing out after God. That is where you find the blessed life. What about sex? In a, in a world that is sexualized in virtually every corner you look, how do we understand our sexuality? How do we understand what we do with our bodies? Uh, is that for us to decide? Is kind of the litmus test for that? Uh, does it bring sufficient pleasure in this moment? Is it something that I enjoy and somebody else can consent to, so I'm okay with it? Or, or does God have a grander vision for our sexuality? He actually desires a, a rich, deep purity in which we look to Him, the designer of our bodies, the designer of our sexuality. We submit that to Him to find life, to find flourishing, not some sort of play it small, play it safe, subscribe to some archaic way of being, but actually God's design for our sexuality leads to life. What about loving our enemies? I think in a a season that we're in right now and coming out of, but still in the thick of, our political enemies, or what feel to be our political enemies, is probably most in the foreground. Our weaponry is often social media and finding ways to attack and accuse of uh, whatever belief systems, whether or not they claim it or not. Oftentimes we don't meet these people, we don't know these people, or even if we do, we hide behind a screen and we allow that to be the context, which is so easy to strip love and compassion and grace and to see the humanity of another person when all we are doing is typing some jabs at someone else. And yet Christ calls us to lay down our lives, to seek to understand with compassion and love and grace and humility, to, uh, to, to value the humanity of the other person, even if we see so very differently on really significant issues, to love them, even when they do ill to us. Are we loving them in such a way that it costs us? What about the good things that we do? Is it so that we can gain a reputation? so that we can be approved of by others, so we can kind of look good by those in front of those around us? 
Are we okay with humble, hidden righteousness that pleases God and loves others? Or the places that we want to control our lives, anxiously trying to like get our surroundings and the people and the relationships, the things we value to kind of revolve around our lives and our, our center of priorities in such a way that we feel okay. And, and Christ says, don't be anxious about those things. Look to me. Rest in me. Your good Father knows what you need. He will give you what you need. Rest in Him. Or what about our words, how we use our tongue? Is it to build up? Is it to edify? Or is it to criticize, to tear down? How are we loving those around us with what we say, with what we communicate? Uh, the, the list goes on, but so often these are the areas that we're, we're kind of rooting our identity and our sense of self and where we find hope and joy, a sense of purpose. And these are the very sayings of, the, of life that will ultimately crumble and will lead to our destruction. There is that constant temptation to, to, to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the vision of what he's laid out for us, to, to walk through the Sermon on the Mount and hear the different teachings, teachings and be, be compelled by that, be drawn in, hear those things, intellectually assent to them and say, yeah, that's, that's good. I can talk about them. I, I can kind of rephrase what I heard on a Sunday or go back to gospel community or talk with family or friends or like kind of rearrange some of the, the furniture in my life to, to look a certain way. But are we becoming doers of the word of Jesus? What he has laid out for us? The kingdom that upends our expectations. It's why the crowds were astonished. It's, like, it's why, if we're honest, we too will be astonished. Be like, hold on a second. You're saying this is, this is flourishing life? Like, this is the blessed life? This is actually good. It's not just kind of right, but it's good. It leads to joy and satisfaction in an ultimate sense. Well, even, even what Jesus says there in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, this doing, I think we can kind of maybe sink into this religious checklist mentality. It's like, okay, what are the, give me the things to do. Well, give me the boxes to check, and I'll start doing those things. And like, I feel like a good Christian, a follower of Jesus, and now I'm, I got the right foundation. I got the rock is Jesus. But, but really, this, this word communicates more of a, of a way of life. It's, it's a journey. It's traveling a certain direction. Probably a better way to translate this for us is everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice adopts this vision of life in the particulars of how we actually live, paying attention to those things. What are the implications? How do, how do I live into what God has called me to through Jesus? Well, it's, it's often fun for me to, to listen to the, the debate between architects and engineers. Sometimes fun banter. I think in other meetings it's less fun, maybe a little more hostile, but uh, I have enough friends and acquaintances in both industries that it's entertaining to, to see the, the debate between the two. And really it goes something like this. It, architects are thinking, what's the design? What's the form and the function? Let's make it look beautiful and like work well for the purposes that we have. And the engineer comes along and says, can it work? Will it actually stand? Like will it actually become a structure that can uh, survive or is it just going to like look nice for a little while? Now, both giftings, both perspectives, both skill sets are absolutely needed for construction. Like that's when it goes well, when both sides are working, playing nicely with one another. In the parable, what's being highlighted is we may have this great spiritual architecture. 
Like great design and form and function and it looks nice and other people recognize it. But the questions of the engineer, the spiritual engineer, have not been asked. Hey, this structure is pretty high. Uh, did you find bedrock? Like, did you drive down far enough? Are you just like a little bit into the soil? So it's fine for now, but as soon as that storm comes, it's going to collapse? Or, or did, you, did you patiently not hurry through the process and actually drive down? Did you, did you take those piles and, and, and push them through the soil? over and over and over again, repeatedly doing the same thing, grabbing the next one and going to the next spot and driving down far enough until you hit that bedrock, then you're firm. Then you have a good foundation. Were you willing to do that? And that's the question for us. Uh, we can have lots of spiritual things, religious things, Christian-y things, or just kind of like well-received by culture things in our lives. Create this great architecture. But have we drilled down? Have we gone to the foundation which is... Jesus. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Um, I love it. It's convicting, but it's helpful. Uh, the, the great British preacher of the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this about the man who built his house upon the sand. To sum it up, his real trouble is that he does not know the meaning of the expression, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He is not interested in righteousness. He's not interested in holiness. He really does not want to be like Christ. He simply wants to be comfortable. Where in our lives are we, are we okay just with kind of enough cushion and ease and comfort that we don't really need to push in and look to and stand upon and root ourselves in Jesus? Well, the invitation stands for all of us uh, to be able to go to Jesus to be received by him, to return to this rock, this firm foundation, again and again and again. If, if we're here and we have ears to hear and we're able to go to him, we're able to, to be received yet again. But I think this, this hits us in different places, though. You even think of the, the crowds uh, there at the end of chapter 7. They're, they were all astonished, it says, but they were probably astonished for some different reasons. You know, maybe for, for some of us here or at home, uh, you're, you're kind of new to the crowd, new, new in the sense of like, ah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by some of the things I've heard about Jesus and Christianity. Uh, but you've not looked to him to, to find joy, to find satisfaction, to, to turn from any other vision of where life is found and to go to him, to him and his words of life. Well, the present moment is always the right time to look to him, to look to Jesus, who stands ready to save, ready to forgive, ready to heal, ready to restore, ready to invite you in and give you grace. I think maybe for others of us, maybe around Christianity for a long time or maybe since birth, but it's more just kind of like the trappings of a Christian culture. It's like, yeah, I can, I can play the right parts. Uh, I can appease mom and dad. I can you know, look good for certain groups of friends or even within the church context. But asking the question, have I ever rooted and established my life upon Jesus? Have I ever looked to him as being the foundation and not some other value, some other priority, some other principle, some other way of seeing life? Has he become the very essence of your life? And I think for many others of us as well, say, yeah, I'm, I've moved from astonishment to apprenticeship. Like, I'm following Jesus. I'm seeking to walk with him and to love him, to know him, to adopt his way of life. I love his vision of the kingdom, and I'm seeking to, to take that on for myself. 
Well, the invitation there is to say, what, what, what parts of our lives do, do we keep in the shadows? What, what, what priorities, what values, what habits or practices or relationships or whatever else? Are we, are we okay saying, well, I'm, I'm going to keep that kind of sheltered because there's still too much enjoyment I get out of that? If that starts to get shaken, if that gets exposed, well, I'm not entirely sure who I'll be. I'm not sure where I'll find security. There are probably, for all of us, different areas. Not probably. There are for all of us. There are places where I, where we, will we'll try to root ourselves and, and make a foundation in the sand. And the invitation that we have is that we don't have to wait till the storms come. Like we, we don't have to wait to be fully and brutally known for a poor foundation. We can actually seek Jesus while he may be found to come before him and be received by him. You know, it is said by a number of commentators that really the, the biggest issue with the guy who built on the sand was that he was in a hurry. It was his haste. It's like, I just got to get, get it going. I, I just got to build something. It's going to be good enough. It's like going to work. It's going to fit enough of my purposes and what I want. He was just in a hurry. So the invitation right now is to slow down a little bit. And not just for the next couple minutes where we reflect and respond, but but throughout this next week, you know, maybe it's, it's paging back through uh, the Sermon on the Mount and finding areas that are, are, are convicting or expose areas of your life to allow the Spirit to move through you. And where am I actually confronted? But to ask that question, where am I seeking to build on the sand instead of Christ, who is the rock? Where, where am I not taking his vision of the good life? And I've, I've taken something else. I've taking it from my upbringing or a friend group or broader culture or wherever else, I've absorbed that vision of life and joy. And we need to receive the invitation to found our lives upon Jesus. Well, let's take a couple minutes and and ask that question now. And and may you see the the sweet, tender gaze of Jesus who who wants to draw you in. Yes, conviction. The, The conviction of the Spirit is is marked by love and compassion and an invitation to, to drink deeply of his grace and his presence. So let me pray for us and then we'll take a couple minutes before we, we take communion together. A spirit, please enter in even now. And may your tenderness be, be felt by your people. Uh, maybe for those right now who, who never experienced that sweet conviction but long to. And may you meet them there. Now, for those who, who have heard about Jesus and been intrigued by your teachings, Lord, but have not sought you and asked you to give you life, to, to receive your forgiveness, may they do that now. And for all of us, just light up the shadowy places of our lives. We want to root and establish our lives upon you. So please help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.